All right, uh, let's have an awkward moment. There's no awkward way out of this transition. Uh, but today we begin a new series called The God We Don't See. And the best way for me to do this is just to have you sit down in this moment. This is really weird. Can you just sit down for me? <laughs> don't worry, we'll, we'll stand back up for the reading of God's word. I thought the best way to introduce this series today was to go old school and do like a little MTV Cribs. How many of you remember this? Yeah, I used to watch, like, yeah, all the pagans in the room. I'm with you on this. I loved, my mom used to try to block the channel. We just figured out if we could type in 2-7, we could still get to MTV. I remember the channel number. Watch some MTV Cribs. Um, so to introduce the series, to make my point, I thought I'd just do the same, and I can assure you, our house is not as cool. So watch this video. And this is my house. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, by the way, uh, best flag ever right here. Can I, do, can I get it? Best flag ever right there. The Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, I don't want this to slam. But hey, here's what you would see if you came over to the Thompson household. Uh, stepping into the first room, uh, this is... This is where all the serious conversations happen. Uh, when Jan Janelle and I have something we want to talk about that's really important, heavy on our hearts, she'll sit over in this chair, I'll sit in this one, and we have really meaningful conversation. So if you ever want to know what's really going on in our house, you could just dip in and stick your nose in that front window right there. Although that would be really creepy, so I'd appreciate if you didn't do that. But, but if, if you walk through the hallway here, by the way, if the tacos don't sit well with you, uh, there's a quick bathroom in here. I know you don't need to see the bathroom, but just in case, there it is if the tacos don't sit right when we, when we have you over. Uh, but, but this is the living room. This is where we spend most of our time. Uh, in fact, in the mornings, this chair right here next to the fire, I love that chair. That's where I read, that's where I get ready for the day. Uh, that's where I do all what I do. TV, doesn't really matter. I'm only awake for about two seconds of that anyway. But our family spends a lot of time in this room. In fact, over here is the comfy couch. And um, this is typically this corner right here. Man, on Sundays, after a long day of hanging out with you and having fun, I'm exhausted. That's where I like to take about a 10 minute nap on Sundays right after I drink a cup of coffee and then wake up ready to go. Uh, so great place to watch television, great place to take a nap, uh, but we love that. So so behind me is the living room. And then if, if I were to flip this around, let's see if I can do this, I can't do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, this is the kitchen. This is where we spend a lot of time with guests. This is where uh, uh, we try to eat as many times as we possibly can. But this is the most important part, right? We talk about family fun night. Many of you are like, do you really spend Friday nights playing games? Look, look, see this right here? Those are the games that we like to play. They're still sitting out. Probably gonna play some this evening, hopefully. Maybe if we get a chance, uh, do it on Fridays with a lot of pizookies. So kitchen, this is where we hang out a lot make my smoothies over here. This is where we get a little bit of coffee. Uh, but, but this is what you would see if you came to my house and you were just visiting for dinner. This is what you would see. And let me show you what you wouldn't see. Don't tell Janelle about this, but I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to show you this. And I am responsible for most of it, even though I'm gonna blame my kids and tell, tell you that it's, it's their fault. Here's, here's, uh, here's what nobody else would see. In fact, this is our room, and this is where, uh, this is where the magic happens. Not there. No, the magic is right here. You see this? 
all these clothes that uh, our boys go through. I, I blame it on my boys. It's really not my boys. It's really me. We have all these clothes in our in our room that we clean, and then it's pointless to fold because they just they don't fold them. We don't fold them. We just take them. We go and and I'm kind of embarrassed to show you this, but but that's what it's really like in our room. That's what it's really like in our room. So, babe, I know you're gonna hate me for this, but I had to give the church uh, a picture of a room to make the point that I'm about to make. I love you, hon, I'm grateful for you. Church, welcome to the Thompson House. <laughs> Come on, any, anybody in this room resonate with what I'm going through right now? Yeah, cool. Thank you for being honest in this moment. Uh, somebody asked me after the nine, they're like, surely that was staged. And I was like, no, it was not staged at all. I literally went in my room and took a picture. And this is the point that I wanna make is uh, often when people come over, they just see the downstairs and they'll say, oh my gosh, your house is so nice and so organized and so inviting and calming. And I'm like, that's what you see. But what you don't see, which I just showed you, is actually probably a truer picture of who we are in this season of our lives. Like as parents and professionals, like I gotta be honest, we don't have time to do laundry every single day. And that's what happens. And I think, I think that's actually a better picture of who we are, what we don't see. So can I make this connection with God? Because I need you to understand that what you see in your life is sometimes a deceptive observation of God's character. But what you don't see is probably a truer picture of who God is. And here's why that matters. Because there are moments where we wanna dismiss the power, the work, the love, and the grace of God because we don't tangibly see him in front of us working. But the beauty and the majesty and the glory of our God is that he is working behind the scenes in ways that we don't understand. Yo, know, when you thought God was done, he was just getting started. If I could say it this way, what you can't see about God is actually what counts. Because when you see nothing, God is actually up to something. He's doing a new thing. He's changing. He's transforming. He's moving. He's alive. He's working. And I don't know about you, but right now, I just want to give thanks for the God that I can't see, that I can't see, because I know he's always at work in ways that I don't understand, church. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand up? Welcome to the new series, The God we don't see. I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 37, verse five. Also going to tie this back to Jesus life as we walk through the life of Joseph over the next six weeks leading up to Easter. Here's what it says. Genesis 37, verse five. It said, uh, it says this, uh, let me start in verse two. Just kidding. It said, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flock with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them, a.k.a. Joseph is a snitch. He's a tattletale. He's a tattletale. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, and because he had been born to him in his old age, he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him all the more and could not speak a kind word about him. So Joseph had a dream. 
And when he told his brothers the dream, surprise, surprise, they hated him all the more. And he said, listen to this. I had this a dream. And we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around my, and they bow down in the words of Snoop Dogg. Too much for you? I love 90s rap. Um, bow down to mine. And his brother said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him. You see a theme here? They hated him all the more because of the dream that he had. Then Joseph had another dream and he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually bow down to the ground? that you are on. And his brother's jealous of him. They were jealous of him. But his father, his father kept this in mind. Here's what, here's what I want to do. I need you to understand as we go through Joseph's life that there is a difference between God's dream and the calling that God has put on his life. There's a difference between the dream that God will give you, but then the calling that you'll actually step into. And there is this huge gap between the two. And in the middle is a season of your life where there needs to be development. But often that development happens in ways that we would rather not be part of. And I want you to see that, that the God we don't see is the God who actually sees. The God who sees what you don't see. So would you do me a favor? Would you turn to three people and just say, the God who sees, the God who sees, the God who sees. Put it online, put it in the chat. Awkwardly quiet in the last couple of services that we've had here. And so I'll just assume that my 11 a.m. here at the Beaver Creek campus is going to be just a little bit different, okay? I need you to help me pray. Thank you. Thank you. Um, speaking of awkwardness, can we just acknowledge the sheer awkward, uh, awkward situation that we found in Genesis chapter 37? Like it's really awkward for me because, because the Bible introduces us to a, a tattletailed 17-year-old spoiled brat. It's true, I promise you. And I don't believe that it's actually Joseph's fault, but what we find is that his father, as it said earlier, loves him more than he loves his other brothers. And so I don't believe that it's Joseph's fault that he's a spoiled brat. I actually blame his father. And in fact, I just gotta pause and say, Jacob, his father, is a south star for me. How many of you know what I mean when I talk about a south star? Okay, let me teach you. These are the people in your life who do all the things that you know you shouldn't, and so you can continually look at their life as a reminder of who you don't want to be. Okay? Just look at their bad example and like, not going to do that ever again. That's Jacob in this moment. That's Israel. That's Joseph's father for me. Because, because I don't understand in the scripture how it said that he loved him more than he loved his other brothers. Like, I could understand if the Bible said that, that Jacob liked Joseph more than he loved his other brothers. Like, can I just be honest? I don't know where my boys are. I'm not going to look at them. But there are days where I like one kid better than the other, <laughs> depending on whether they're mouthing off or they've got bad attitudes or they decide to do their chores. Like I like at times one kid over the other. But, but, 
But to say that I would love one kid over the other is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And we get to see this begin to play out as, as his father hands him this robe. And it's not just a robe, but it's a robe of royalty. Can I just tell you, in this day, robes were not meant for used for royalty. These things were conventional. These things were practical. Like, robes were used like first graders use their t-shirts. Like Kleenexes. And other things that we can't mention here. Like, robes were used for sitting on. Robes were used for doing dishes. You, robes were used for carrying uh, poopy little breastfeeding babies every single day. Like, robes were used for securing loans. Like, robes were not glamorous in this day. And yet, what we find in the story is that all the other brothers are getting buy one, get one free Payless shoes while Joseph is getting the next Jordan 4s. Are you with me on this? <laughs> And I love how the Bible said, and they hated him all the more, and they could not say a kind word about him. And what's fascinating to me is Joseph is not aware of the room. And what he does is he goes back and he tells his brothers the God-sized dream that God had given him. And for the third time, it says, they hated him all the more. You know what's fascinating to me is Jesus has the exact same experience as Joseph. In fact, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we find that Jesus is coming up out of the waters of baptism, and it says that a voice came down from heaven, and this was the voice of the Father who sent his Son, and he said, with you, I am well pleased, and with you, I love you because you are my Son. I love this. This is my Son who I love. Just like Jacob loved Joseph, God the Father loves his Son, Jesus. He said, and I love you, and I am pleased. But then you get into to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, immediately, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Are you making the connection between these two stories? Cool. Let me, let me make the connection. Joseph has a God-sized dream, and he is hated. Jesus is given a God-sized mission and he is, he is tempted and he is attacked by the devil. And this is what I need you to understand about your own life, is that when God gives you a vision, when God gives you a future, when God gives you a God-sized dream, you will find yourself in uncomfortable situations and in odd relationships because it'll constantly feel like people are pushing up against you. Instead of celebrating the dream that God gave you, people will hate you for the dream that God gave you. All right, let me prove my point because I don't, I don't think you believe me. How many people in this room believe that God has given them a God-sized dream and he's got great plans for your life? Just raise your hand. Wow, half of you. Okay, keep those hands up. Don't, don't put them down yet. Just raise them high, really high. This is good. If you're online, you do the same. Uh, do, you, do you know what you, you don't know? Is that everybody else in the room who isn't raising their hand, they can't stand you right now. <laughs> you can put them down, I can hear the, the person in the back. Look at that Bible thumper. I don't want everyone to be like this guy. Like there's this, there's this part where I realize that when, when we have people who have the desire in this life to do great things in this world, we don't celebrate them, we hate them. Have you ever noticed that the word celebrity also has the same root as the word celebrate? 
And yet at the same time, we have like paparazzi, we have TMZ, we have People Magazine, we have TikTok who are constantly not trying to celebrate their lives, but they are try- constantly attacking, throwing shade and hating their lives. Uh, can we just, um, let me give this example. Can we talk about Taylor Swift for just a second? Wow, I can't tell if we're excited or this is a controversial conversation. <laughs> Either way, it's gonna be fun. I just finished up on Netflix, Miss Americana, so good. This is really weird. Now, here's the thing that just spoke to me. Like, there is this moment where Taylor Swift is talking about how at the age of 19, she's standing on this platform and she is receiving award for the best female vocalist video, 19. Some of you remember this moment. And she's standing here and everybody's celebrating her and she's giving her speech and some dude named Kanye gets up on the platform and said, sorry, Taylor, I know you're great, but Beyonce's better. Now listen, I am not here to argue who's better. That's not my point today. I feel like we're, this, this could be like a political season all of a sudden. I'm not here to argue that. What the, what the point that I'm trying to make is that after they show this clip, they go back to Taylor and she said, up until the age of 19 for my entire life, I had been celebrated in my career. But as I stood up there and the entire crowd began to boo, she said, I didn't realize they were booing him. I just thought they were booing me. And she said, instead of feeling celebrated for the work that I was doing, it was the first time in my life where I felt like everybody hated me. Can I just, in this moment, speak to my faith-filled Kingdom building, Satan kicking, God dreaming owners in this room who feel like they're the best days are ahead of you. Can I just speak to you for just a second? Because what you have to understand is when you raise your hand and acknowledge that God has a future and a plan and a dream for your life, (laughs) people are going to hate you. You're going to be tempted. You're going to find your life in seasons that are difficult. And I just need to free somebody in this room for just a second. Because a lot of us feel like we need to have everybody love us when we step into this calling. But I want you to know, you don't have to have everybody like you in this room. Not everybody is going to approve of the calling that God has put on your life. Not everybody needs to like you. Can I just tell you a little secret? Not everybody in this room loves me. It's true. Not everybody likes me. And I have learned in my life that I don't need you to like me because I actually am going to step into what God has actually called me to do. And there's this reality that some of the best decisions I have ever made in my life have come off the heels of some of the greatest resistance. Some of the biggest moves that you will ever make in your life will come in the face of opposition. It will come in the face of temptation. It will come when you feel like you're being attacked. And I want you to know, if you're going to do something meaningful and passionate and something that is spiritually alive in your life, you better expect a fight. What I know is that faith-filled followers of Jesus expect conflict. And what they know that other people don't know, what makes them victorious when other people quit in faith is they understand that Satan's tactic is to put you in a place where you constantly feel like you're losing. 
They understand that it's going to be one step forward with God, but two steps back with the devil. It's going to be one step forward in faith, but it's going to be two steps back with the accuser. It's going to be one step forward with God and Jesus who loves us, but it's three steps back in the addiction. It's one step forward toward the cross, but it's five steps back the moment that they broke up with you and dismissed you. And the difference between people who win and the difference between people who lose their faith is you know how to see God working. See, this is what happens. The moment you feel pressed, the moment you feel pushed, the moment people begin to question what God has put on your life, do you know what happens? Instead of seeing it as an attack from the enemy, we believe that it's an all-out attack from God on our lives. And we believe that God, what we see when we go through a season of hardship, what we see is a God who's not for us, but he's against us. What we see is a God who's out to hurt us. And the beauty of who God is, and maybe the truth that you need to hear today, is that the test that you face, the hardship that you're in, is not an all-out attack from God, but it's about his all-out affection for you. See, there's this, there's this hardship in your life. In the moment of your darkest pain, when you're going through some of your greatest hurt, I need you to hear that there is a God who is on your side fighting for you. I tell my kids when they walk into the house and they're going through something difficult and we're trying to help them through the situation and sometimes they don't like the vice, we say, kids, we love you. We're for you. We're fighting for you. We're on your side. You have to understand that we do this because we love you. And that's exactly what will pull you through the temptation that you face. The difficulty that you face is understanding that there is nothing that could separate you from the love of Jesus Christ in your life. I love what Paul says. There's not hardship. There's not persecution. There's not famine. There's not sword or nakedness or difficulty or divorce or addiction or the person that just dumped me or the person who said that I'll never make it. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And the reason you are victorious is not because you can fight against them, but because God's love is inside of you. You are conquerors through his love. You are victorious because he loves you. Amen. Some of you are like, is he always this angry? <laughs> I'm pumped that instead of experiencing defeat, God calls us to be conquerors through his love. But this is what you also have to understand. You're going to hate me for this. Sometimes God's love leads you where you don't want to be led. I'm going to say that again because ain't nobody in this room celebrating this right now. Sometimes God's love will lead you where you don't want to be led. Let me show you this. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Let's read this story here. Here's what it says. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. 
because he had been born to him in his old age, in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw their father and loved him more than any of them, they hated him all the more and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, what did they do? They hated him all the more. And he said, listen, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly I rose up and you began to bow down. And his brother said, do you intend for... Uh, do you intend to reign over us? Would you actually rule over us? And they hated him all. They hated him all the more. Now, I need to make a distinction between dreams and calling. Between dreams and destiny. Here's why. Because dreams don't give you the full picture. And the danger of God's dream in your life is that sometimes we take the dream that he gives us and we believe it's about what we will accomplish. But you will never be able to step into the calling that he has for your life until you fully understand that it's about what he is going to accomplish through you. You don't believe me, do you? Let me, let me just show you in Joseph's life. In fact, the dream that he has is that God will elevate him in power to a place where other people will serve him. Are you with me on this church? Come on, somebody say amen, amen. please. Amen, thank you. Are you with me on this? God will elevate him to a place where people will serve him. This is his dream. But the calling that we will see later on that God gives him is that God will elevate him to a place not so that people could serve him, but so that he could serve others. And what I love about God is that he is patient with Joseph in this season. He is loving, he is kind, he is forgiving. Yo, he knows this dude is a spoiled brat. And so he is gracious with him. He only not, not only gives him one dream, but he gives him two dreams. And he not only gives him two dreams, but over the course of his life, what we find is that Joseph has six dreams in all that he will interpret. And he will go through a season of his life where he will experience tests so that God can begin to do his work. Can I tell you, church, what we begin to see in Joseph's life is that he will use this dream to point out what Joseph can't see. See, the God that we don't see is the God who sees what we can't see. Do you know what we call those things in our lives that we can't see? Do you know what we call those? Blind spots. Blind spots. How many of you know that you have blind spots in your life? You've got three honest people, my goodness gracious. Can I, let me, let me just say it this way. My, my dad, let me talk about my dad for just a second. Uh, my dad recently retired and now he is a driver instructor. I don't know why you would want to like, risk your life to teach students how to drive, but apparently that's his calling now and I'm grateful for it. He was telling about this kid that he had the other day and um, uh, the kid had to drive, I don't know if it was on the highway, but they got to this place and my dad asked the kid, he said, do, do you have your license? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have a license. And my dad's like, well, I need to see it before we, we get in the car. And, and the kid's like, well, I actually don't have like the card license. And my dad said, well, do you have a license? And he's like, well, I have the piece of paper that the DMV gave me. Is it BMV? What do we call it here in Ohio? Yeah, whatever, something with a V in it. <laughs> he said, I got the piece of paper. And my dad's like, I need to see that you are licensed to drive this vehicle. Could you please pull it out? And he's like, yeah, I actually forgot the piece of paper. It's at my house. 
And so my dad, who is a very patient human being, uh, had to drive this kid 30 minutes back home. I'm just guessing, I don't know what the time was. Had to drive him back home. And so my dad, because he's a driver instructor, he's got to do everything perfect. Like my dad drives the speed limit. I do not, he does. And so he's following speed limits, he's looking at his mirrors, he's changing lanes, and it's fascinating. He said the kid looks over at him in this moment and says, uh, excuse me, sir, I just have a quick question. It may be a dumb question, but every time that you change lanes, do you have to, do you have to check your blind spot? <laughs> I love that question. And my, dad, my, my, my dad is such a great instructor, and he said, you know, mirrors don't give you the whole picture. Mirrors don't tell you everything that you need to see. He said, if you want to get to where you're going safely, then you always have to check your blind spots. And I think, I think that we, we need to picture ourselves sitting next to a driver instructor who is your father, who is always pointing out our blind spots. I think a lot of us, you know what we do when it comes to God's dream for your life is like the mirror. We're always looking into the mirrors, but that's not the full picture. If you're ever going to get to where God needs to take you, then he will always have to look over your shoulder to help you see the blind spots that you can't see. Come on, church, this is good. We serve a God who sees what we can't see. And if you go back to Joseph's life, you're like, well, what does God see that we can't see? And you know what I love is that you just go back and Joseph is running around in this Calvin Klein cloak and he's wearing a little bit of the Bleu de Behope cologne. <laughs> Throwback from Super Bowl. And he's running around parading himself like he's the best in the world and God's given him a dream and that his father loves him in the most. And, and there's this reality that I think the Bible tells us that the brothers hated him three times. It's one thing when people don't like you. It's another thing when everybody around you hates you. Because they could see what Joseph didn't see. God sees what Joseph can see. And what Joseph has in his life is just a little bit of pride. Because he's the loved one. He's the chosen one. He's got the best robe in the family. He's got a little bit of pride. Do you know Jesus went through the exact same thing? The exact same thing. The Bible says, Matthew chapter four, verse one, that the spirit immediately, the spirit led him into the wilderness so that he could be tempted, tested, and attacked by the devil. Some of you are like, I don't understand. If Jesus was perfect and he never sinned, then why did he have to be tempted? And in this moment, I need you to understand that Jesus not only took on the full deity of God, but he took on the full human experience of everything that you and I go through. And this is why I love him. It's because God submits himself to our experience so that you would know that there's a God who resonates what you're going through. And, and God says to his son, I'm going to give you a kingdom that will have no end but you gotta go through the test. You gotta go through the temptation. You're gonna have to go through this moment where you feel attacked after 40 days of fasting. And do you know what the devil does? The devil takes Jesus all the way up to this mountain and do you know what he shows him? He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms, the calling on Jesus was to be king that had a kingdom that would last forever. And the devil shows him all the kingdoms. And it was as if his father was speaking to the blind spot of Jesus in his life saying, no, no, if you want to be unlike any other king, 
if you want to have a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom, then you have to let go of the desires to do it like every other king. But did you notice how he did it? God had to take him through the temptation. God had to take him through a moment of pain and a moment of weakness. God has to take you, take you from the dream that he gives you to the calling that he has on you. He has to take you through seasons of hardship and difficulty and people doubting what God has put on your life so that, so that he can build you. This is not because he wants to cause you pain, but this is really for your protection. That ultimately what God is doing is developing you in this season to be exactly who he needs you to be. Because there are some things in your life that you can't see. And it takes trial and hardship for God to begin to pull those out of our lives. If I could say it like this. God has to pull out of you so that he can put in you. Can we just talk about pride for just a second? Some of us have ego and pride in this room. And pride is just hidden insecurity. You ever met an insecure leader? We don't call them leaders. We call them tyrants. <laughs> That was too much, wasn't it? But God understands that if you have pride on your life, then you won't know how to lead when it comes time. And so God has to pull out the pride so that he can put in the proper confidence, a confidence of humility, a healthy confidence in your life. Sometimes God is taking you through this season of testing so that he can pull out of you the comparison so that you will see that you are fully adequate. God will pull out of you this sense of self-sufficiency so that he can put in you this idea that you will be fully reliant upon him. God has to pull out of you the weakness of your life so that he can put in you the gifts and strengths that you will need for this next season. God's going to pull out the ugly of your life so that he can put in all the good that he is inside of you. And I'm grateful that I have a father in heaven who sees what I can't see in my life. I'm grateful we got a God who loves to call out our sin. I'm grateful that we have a father who is our friend and gives us feedback in moments that we don't want to hear it. I'm grateful that I have a God who doesn't make me look like a fool when I'm acting like a fool. I love it that I have a God when I'm going through hard things and you're going through hard things. He knows that he's using these things for his good and he's doing all this in a time that is hard and difficult and where you're weak and where you're vulnerable and it feels like you're losing people in your life to show you that, that you may have had the dream, but this is the opportunity to, for me to pull out of you what I need to put in you so that you can step into the calling, the calling where only I can do what can be done through you. That's what God's doing. You are going through a season of development. And I need you to know that God does this, the test, the trial. God's love takes you where you don't want to be led. Not just about your, it's not just about your character. But God has to change the most vital part of your life. The vital part of your life. Um, I'm going to go down to Exodus, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Watch what it says. Notice the baptism language. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities, all of your blind spots, and from all your idols. He said, I will give you a new 
I got one person with me. Thank you. I appreciate that. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you and I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put spirit in you and you will move to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now in the Old Testament, I need you to know that keeping the laws allowed them to step into the calling that God had for their lives. That the world would know God's love because they were obedient to him. But here's what I need you to see is to do that, God had to give them a new heart, a new heart. And God can't give you your calling if he doesn't have your heart, if he doesn't have your heart. See, see, the heart is not just a vital organ that pumps blood through your body, but your heart is your life's work. You ever heard somebody say, I put my heart and soul into that? The question is, is your heart and soul in the work or is your heart and soul in the one who gave you the calling? Can I just have a moment of confession as your pastor? I can assure you, some of you are going to like me less in the room and that's okay. But as I've been looking over the course of this last week, I just got to tell you church, I am fully committed to the work of this ministry. I am fully committed to giving you everything I have every single weekend that I'm up here. I'm fully committed to giving you the best message I can, to producing the best content that we can, to producing emails and, and solving problems. I am committed to the work of making sure that this church will be the best that God has called it to be. I am committed to that. But... But God has been speaking to me this week, and he said, here's the question, are you committed to the work? Or are you committed to me who gave you the calling? Are you more in love with the work? Or are you more in love with me? And he said, I'm not sure that I have your heart. And as I begin to look through this last week, can I just be honest, church? Last week, I, did, I think I did okay. But this week, I was like a 17-year-old spoiled brat. And... And every day that I got up, I look back, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day I got up, the first thing I did, open my computer, get to work, hit the ground running, making phone calls, dealing with issues, talking with people. Like every single morning, first thing I did, getting to work. And God just began to speak to me and he said, Brad, your work won't work if I don't have your heart. Some of you need to hear that today. I'm going to speak to you now moment of confession is over for me. Your work won't work if God doesn't have your heart. Your work in Celebrate Recovery won't lead to sobriety if God doesn't have all of your heart. Your work in your marriage won't work if God doesn't have all of you. Your, your work in your relationship as you're dating them won't work if God doesn't have all of your desires. Your work in becoming financially healthy won't work if God doesn't have a heart that is generous. Your work in the mental health crisis that you face won't work unless God has all of your thoughts. Everything that you're doing won't work unless God has your heart. Your work won't work unless God has your heart. And the question I have to ask you and only you can answer this, is does God have your heart? Because if he doesn't have your heart, you'll never be ready for the God-sized dream and calling he has put on your life. Only you can answer that. 
So church, would you stand with me? I want you to close your eyes. If you're online, you can close your eyes too. Ironton, close your eyes. Close your eyes, bow your heads real quick. I just need you to be transparent, not with me, but with God. And I just need you to wrestle with this question. Am I more committed to the work or am I more committed to the one who's called me? Does God actually have my heart? And I wanna to speak to the, to the people in this room for just a second who have absolutely no faith. You're, you're stepping into this place for the first time. Maybe you're watching online for the first time. Maybe you realize today that the only way that you can move forward in life is if God has your heart. And so I'm wondering if you would just be willing enough and open enough and vulnerable enough to pray this prayer in your life. Just pray this with me. God, I give you my heart. God, I give you all of me. And today I want to cross the line of faith. Just pray that. For those of you, first time in your life, never prayed this prayer before. That's all it takes for God to have your heart. God, I give you my heart. I give you all of me. And today I cross the line of faith. Can you do me a favor if you're online and if you're in this room and if you're in Ireton? In that moment, if you just prayed that prayer, would you, would you be willing in a bold faith to raise your hand and just acknowledge today I prayed for the first time in my life that I'm giving my life to God. I'm giving him my heart. Thank you for those hands. You can put them down. Now let me speak to the rest of us. What about the rest of you? How many of you in this moment know that God doesn't have your heart? You've been following Jesus your entire life, but you know that you're misaligned and you're sideways. How many of you right now would just raise your hand and say, I know I need to give God my heart. My work's not working because he doesn't have my heart. How many of you would just raise your hand and say, that's me. Today, I want to do that. I want to give God my heart. It's that simple. God, today I give you everything. I give you all of my heart. And from there, you can experience the calling that he is taking you to. Church, can we celebrate all those? You can put your heads up. Celebrate all those who are stepping into the kingdom of God today. For those who raise their, ha raise their hands in honesty. I just want to acknowledge that we're getting ready to witness the lives of people who have given their hearts to Jesus. And this is not the end of their faith, but this is the beginning of their faith. That as they step into this water, they are, they are expressing that there is a God who not only loves them, but then calls them to the new thing. They're going to continue to move forward. And I would just pray over you that today, if you gave your life to Jesus, there's an opportunity for you to be bold and to walk down in front of all these people. And I know it's scary, but we have campus pastors that will meet with you up here and we'll be willing to give you new short shirts, new shorts. We're going to get your story. You can say, today I'm giving God my heart. I would love for you to make that decision as we begin to sing this song. And I need to tell you, as we end this time together, this is the most important part of what God's about to do because we are watching people experience the hope of Jesus. Amen, church. Let's celebrate him.